0: Hello, fellow educators, and welcome to episode 34 of the Leaders of Literacy podcast. I'm your host, Becky Lewis, and my co-host for this month is Brittany Fike. Brittany and I are going to center our conversations this month around extended learning and extended learning programs. We're going to talk about how these opportunities for our students can help with learning recovery, not just this year, but for many years to come. This is the West Virginia Leaders of Literacy podcast, where we engage in educational conversations to strengthen early literacy in West Virginia. Are you ready to become a leader of literacy? Welcome, listeners, and hello, Brittany. Thanks for coming back to be my co-host on the podcast this month. I'm really excited about our episode today on extended learning.
1: Thank you, Becky. I'm so excited to sit down with you for another episode of our Leaders of Literacy podcast.
0: So today we are going to focus, like I said, on the topic of extended learning. And I know that extended learning can refer to a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Before we get started in our conversation today, let's take a minute to talk about it in the context of how we're going to be referring to it throughout the show. So generally we use the term extended learning to refer to any educational opportunity that's offered to students to increase the amount of time that they spend on learning. So typically extended learning is those times after the school day ends or during summer vacation where students are increasing their learning.
1: Yeah, Becky, that's absolutely correct. And For our conversation today, we are going to be discussing extended learning in regard to learning recovery and best practices for helping our students recover from that learning loss or gaps as we prepare for providing those educational opportunities for our students during the summer, like you were saying. So extended learning for this purpose is not something that's new to us. However, The reasoning for such a strong focus on extended learning this year is new to us. And while we aren't certain as to the amount of learning loss that students have suffered as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, we do assume that learning loss has occurred in some capacity. So our schools and districts are preparing right now for summer programming to help combat that academic learning loss as well as trauma-related learning loss.
0: Absolutely. You bring up some great points, Brittany. We know that our students have all been deeply affected by the pandemic. And even though our conversation today is going to focus on learning recovery And of course, our specialty, which is literacy. It's also important that we keep in the back of our mind that our students' responses to learning could be shaped by the trauma that they have faced during the pandemic and their time at home.
1: Absolutely.
0: So as with many things in education, the key is early planning. Just as you said, right now, I know that many districts and schools are in full planning mode and preparing for extended learning programming that they're going to provide for their students over the summer. And typically these programs focus on remediation or enrichment opportunities for students. But when we start digging into the research, it tells us that extended learning programs will need to go beyond their typical design and begin shifting their mindset to developing programs and opportunities that focus on this learning recovery that um, educators are going to be so invested in. And I'm excited to share more of the research findings and recommendations on how to make this focus on learning recovery for our students a reality.
1: Yes, me too, Becky. It's so exciting that, um, you know, while we are facing very unique times that there is some great research out there, that's going to be able to really help guide us in planning for these summer programs. And today we are going to discuss some of that research um, from Hanover Research on best practices for learning loss recovery, as well as another publication from the RAND Summer Learning Series, Getting to Work on Summer Learning. And as always, if you're listening, you'll be able to find the links to these documents in the show notes, So that if you'd like, you can explore them yourself a little bit further.
0: Right. Thank you, Brittany, so much for reminding our listeners to um, access those links via the show notes. I'm also excited to share with our listeners that we have another guest with us today, and they will get to hear from them towards the end of our episode, who is going to share um, some information about summer learning and learning recovery in the state of West Virginia. So we're quickly going to get ready for our discussion by talking about some of the research and recommendations that you mentioned. But before we do, I just want to note for our listeners where the findings from this research came from. So Hanover used secondary sources that are publicly available. They have been previously published research um, pieces, and they come from things such as academic literature, advice from educational experts, guidance from state agencies. And the purpose of these are to share best practices and key findings. There are report is wonderful, and it includes information, strategies, and innovative ideas from successful learning recovery programs, specifically school-based summer learning programs. The RAND Corporation provides guidance on how to develop high-quality summer programs based on comprehensive data that they've collected over several years from both students and educators. And they collected this information through interviews and surveys and they examined more than 2,000 hours of classroom and enrichment activities in their studies. So Brittany, I want you to talk a little bit more about the research. So can you share with us some of the big takeaways and recommendations for summer programmings?
1: Yes, Becky, I would love to. And I do just want to take a second to mention, I love how you discussed that the research comes from both students and educators, because I think such an important part of that feedback we receive also comes from our students and hearing what works best for them. One of the first major takeaways for me is just what you mentioned earlier, and that is that early planning is key. In addition to that though, we also know that well thought out planning is key. And according to the Learning Policy Institute, They say that well-designed summer programs are the most effective when students experience them for multiple summers. And I think this is so important to keep in mind when planning for school-based learning programs. We should plan programs that can be used for many years to come so that our students can receive the maximum benefits from them.
0: That's an excellent point, Brittany. So while counties are planning for this summer, it's really a great idea to simultaneously be thinking about next summer as well.
1: Yes, exactly. And also, we really want to determine which students to target and plan accordingly. Will a summer program be open to all grade level students enrolled in the district? or be restricted to certain students. This is a really important part of the planning process. From there, we want to make sure that we are recruiting dedicated teachers and involving them in that planning process. It's really crucial to have the educators who will be working on site of the summer program to be involved in some of that really important decision making. And it's also imperative that they are familiar with the curriculum that will be used and then trained really well. And one more thing, as we get further into this planning process, we of course want to make sure that we're planning engaging and fun learning experiences for all types of students that are going to be participating in these extended learning programs so that we make sure we're able to reach and engage students with different needs and different interests.
0: I love that you brought up that part about recruiting dedicated teachers and letting them be a part of the planning process, because a lot of times I don't feel like um, that happens enough, especially when we're talking about extended learning programming. And I also know that um, you brought up another good point. Sometimes extended learning can be thought of in terms as summer school, and that has A big negative connotation to it. But there are so many ways that we can provide learning recovery to our students in ways that really embrace their interests and engage them like you were talking about and still meet their needs. So we can do this by grounding learning in real world context and by integrating lots of hands-on experiences. I know one of the fun and unique ways that I learned about from one of my counties is something that Wood County is planning to do to engage their students this summer, and it's called Wildlife Adventures. So students will be coming in Monday, excuse me, Tuesday through Friday all day for a few weeks, and they're going to be provided um, lunch and breakfast and snacks. And in the mornings, they are going to focus on scholastic readings and some types of of math lessons and then the afternoons are going to focus on other areas such as art or physical education or Spanish. What they're also doing is they're bringing in the Columbus Zoo and I know of a llama farm they were talking about so that the kids get to experience some hands-on things with the animals that they're reading about in the stories during their reading lessons throughout the day. Then um, during our Leaders of Literacy Week, I was actually part of a brainstorming session and we discussed some different opportunities. And one of the ideas that came up was how to combine the CTE programming in counties with extended learning. So we talked about this could be done by having the CTE share information with those younger students about their programming and courses. And if it's possible, um, with some of the skills that they are able to teach to the students, teaching them one of their skills or even touring the CTE Center along with the tools that the students use.
1: I absolutely love those examples that you shared and you are very correct. There are so many ways that we can get creative to maximize our instructional time and make sure that those students are actively engaged. And when it comes to learning recovery, the research tells us that students need to spend a sufficient amount of time on task in order to meet the goals of summer learning and make adequate gains. And we know that a part of the students being on task it's making sure that they're engaged and that their needs um, both academically and their interest needs are being met.
0: That's a great point. But um, Brittany, I would like you to clarify something for us. What do you mean when you say that students need to spend a sufficient amount of time on task? So what does the research say is a sufficient amount of time?
1: Yeah, so the research has found that students who receive 34 hours of language arts instruction over the summer perform better academically. This might look like a five or six week program with 120 minutes or more of ELA instruction per day. And so this would allow a student who attends about 75% of program days to obtain that 34 hours of ELA instruction that's been found to correlate with improved achievement.
0: I just think it's really important to be aware of the research. And again, is this is where um, the early planning is crucial in taking a deep dive at what the research says. So in order to provide students with that Amount of instruction, in addition to the amount of instruction that's suggested for math, districts really need to take a close look at scheduling in order to provide time for transitions and to maximize the loss of instructional time um, by having all of the logistics of that summer learning site worked out. We know that there are a lot of different aspects to be considered, from materials to transportation, curriculum and meals, etc.
1: Oh yes, the the things to consider, um, you know, are beyond belief, really. And her educators put in so much work to make these programs um, the way they need to be, and to maximize that instructional time. the The planning that goes into that is so extensive. Yeah.
0: So let's talk a little more about what literacy instruction should look like during this time when we're focusing on learning recovery. So we know that the research says that we should provide our students with the 34 hours of ELA instruction that you mentioned over the summer if possible. It also says that this should be heavily content focused and is the most effective when it's delivered through small group instruction.
1: Yes. And, you know, as educators, we always want smaller class sizes because we know that it's much easier for us to establish rapport and get to know the individual needs of our students. And during summer programming, it really should be one of our main goals to have those small class sizes so that we can provide that more individualized instruction.
0: Yeah. And As we're thinking about this summer, we should keep in mind too that a lot of students, for whatever reason, have been lacking a strong connection with a caring adult. That one-on-one attention and instruction that you mentioned is more important than ever. So knowing that students will need that social-emotional connection to a caring adult that they have been missing and um, to help them get ready for the academic learning that's Going to occur is really important.
1: Absolutely. And I know that you and I have talked in a previous podcast episode about the importance of students having to be supported socially and emotionally in order to be successful in their learning. And even beyond those small class sizes that we were discussing, the literacy instruction provided. Within even a classroom of only, say, 15 students should be done through small groups of maybe three to five students, and this will allow educators a greater opportunity to connect with those students uh, socially and emotionally and allow them to provide that high-quality instruction where they can differentiate based on those interests and needs of their students.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, and knowing that the most effective way to frame our summer programming and learning opportunities for students is to provide them with high-dosage small group literacy instruction, and I think it is a good time now to bring in our special guest for this episode. So today we have Christy Schwartz with us. Some of you may recognize Christy's name and voice from previous episodes, but she's joining us today in her new role as a coordinator in the Office of Student Support and Well-Being at the West Virginia Department of Education, with her focus being on extended learning. Christy, thank you for taking time out of your very busy day to be here with us.
2: Thanks so much for that introduction, Becky, and for having me on the podcast I'm really excited to continue this conversation with both of you from the lens of my role as a coordinator, whose focus is supporting counties as they plan and
1: implement extended learning summer and after-school programs. Christy, we've been discussing the effective structuring of summer programming in order for students to make academic gains and to help combat that learning loss that could have occurred as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We know that West Virginia has spent a lot of time preparing to provide guidance on learning recovery, and we would love for you to share some of that guidance with our listeners.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, I just want to give a little bit of background about a project that we're working on right now. Last year the state received funding as part of the federal emergency I'm sorry the federal elementary and secondary school emergency relief fund and people call that the ESSER fund for short. And the primary need at that time was for technology, whether it was making sure that all students had devices for virtual learning or purchasing software platforms to help teachers organize and deliver their instruction. There were a lot of technology issues that the counties needed to solve. So the state allocated those funds to the counties. Um, to use for that technology purpose. This year, the state had another round of emergency relief funding. So um, through the ESSER 2 fund, they received approximately $32 million to share with counties. And they identified that the primary need right now is learning loss recovery, which is what you have been talking about. So the focus right now is on how counties can use a summer learning program to help students recover that lost learning that you've been discussing in a fun and engaging way, and also to get back into a school routine after so much inconsistency during the pandemic. And the program and the grant is called the Summer SOUL Grant Program. SOUL stands for Student Opportunities for Learning and Engagement. Um, what's the vision for this program, Christy? Christy. The vision is actually the brainchild of Melanie Perkey, the federal programs officer at the West Virginia Department of Education, and Sonia White, the teaching and learning officer. They really wanted the program to be fun and engaging so students would be excited to attend and they'd wake up thinking, I get to go to summer learning today. They also wanted it to be available and accessible for everyone. So, they wanted to be able to address learning gaps while giving the students opportunities for hands on explorations and meeting their social emotional needs. They also wanted middle school students, like you were talking about earlier, to have a chance to explore career opportunities, possibly through um, visiting a CTE site, through participating in some classes at that site. Um, they really just wanted them to see what kinds of careers they might be able to pursue with their new knowledge. And they wanted there to be flexibility for high school students to be able to attend, even if they were playing sports or working a summer job. So the high school um, schedule looks a little bit different than the K-8
1: schedule. Christy, I know I've shared this with you previously, but I absolutely love this vision. And I know that our focus is on um, early learning, but all the way from our youngest learners up to our oldest learners, it seems like so much thought has been put into this grant and so many wonderful things have been considered. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, Are all counties receiving funding as a part of this grant? So for our listeners who aren't aware, in West Virginia, our counties are our school districts. So will each district be receiving funding?
2: That's a great question. In order to ensure that counties are using the funding to provide research-based summer programs, there is an application process that has been put out to all of the county districts. 54 out of 55 counties have submitted a letter of intent, which indicates that they intend to apply. And also that they agree to plan their summer programs according to the criteria outlined in that letter.
0: So can you tell us a little more about that, Christy? What do counties have to agree to in order to receive the funding?
2: Sure. They have to submit a budget in our grants and planning system that covers not only their plans for this summer, but also their extended learning plans through September 30th of 2023, which is when the grant expires. So um, we wanted to make sure that they're thinking long term with these plans. Like you mentioned, that the research shows it needs to take two, at least two consecutive summers to recover from learning loss. And we are encouraging them to braid other funding with that as well. So if they have title money left over um, that they can spend on some of the provisions for summer learning, they can do that and save some of these funds from the summer soul program for um, next year.
1: That's wonderful. I love that the state is encouraging our counties to plan for the long term rather than just what they intend to do for this summer. So is that all that our counties will need to do for the application process? I'm glad you mentioned that. No, there is actually one other part to the application.
2: The second part is submitting their summer plan in the West Virginia Education Information System, or WVEIS. To receive funding, the plan has to include um, full-day opportunities for kindergarten through grade 8, access to a minimum of four days per week, so the students don't have to attend four days a week but they have to have access and the opportunity to attend four days a week. Um, The program needs to be a minimum length of four weeks, and it has to be offered to all programmatic levels. So from kindergarten through 12th grade, and it needs to be offered to all students. So it has to include both intervention and enrichment, and it has to include transportation and meals. So both breakfast and lunch.
0: I think that's great. The Summer Soul Grant sounds like it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for our counties, and I can't wait to see the wonderful things that are going to take place as a result of this grant.
1: I agree, Becky, and I know that we have began to hear some of the things that our counties are planning, and I absolutely can't wait to see their plans come to fruition and see Um, the success that our students have in their summer programs. Thank you so much, Christy, for sharing that information with our listeners. Thank you all so much for having me, and I'm looking forward to collaborating to
2: support the counties with all of you as um, they plan and implement their summer
1: programs.
0: Well, Christy, as you know, we have one last question for you before you go. So, what is one tip or piece of advice that you can give our educators as they're thinking about summer learning and their summer learning programming? I think
2: the last piece of advice that I would share with our listeners, particularly with the teachers who are planning to um, apply and teach this summer during their county summer programs, is to try to put yourself in the students' shoes try to be as empathetic as you can with their experiences, um, with their behaviors. Some of them may have been through trauma. Some of them may just, you know, be getting back into a routine of school. So be really consistent, be really patient, teach, 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 practice, 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 all the procedures, and just keep in mind that they are struggling just as much as the adults are. And while we really want to be consistent and make sure they have a lot of time on task and make sure that we're providing high quality instruction and experiences. We don't want to stress them out or overload them and make them feel overwhelmed. So um, just kind of trying to find that balance with them, I think is going to be key because we really want them to come and to be excited about coming to our programs this summer.
0: For links to all the resources discussed in this episode and for additional information, please visit our website at WBDE us forward slash leaders of literacy click on podcast and click on the show notes for episode 34 want to learn more about being a leader of literacy be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single installment in the next episode Brittany and i will be wrapping up our conversation on extended learning we will be speaking with fellow west virginia educator darlene dingus atkins from logan county Darlene is going to be talking about the exciting extended learning opportunities that they have been planning for their students in Logan County. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening.